Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the UXR podcast. This episode, like many others, is going to be dedicated to telling the stories of junior researchers and lessons learned from their experiences landing their first research gig. My guests today are Dr. Carol Morgan and Florida Dochi. What's interesting about both of them is they both have graduate degrees, and this conversation is going to be focused around the role graduate degrees can play in your success as a researcher, and if you're a hiring manager, how you should think about candidates who have graduate degrees that you might be interviewing. I hope you find this episode interesting. Don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe on wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you on the other side. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Alec Levin. I'm the host of the UXR podcast. Uh, and today we have a really fun and special episode uh, for you. Fortunate enough to be joined by two guests who it is my pleasure to introduce to you today. Uh, the first one is uh, Dr. Carol Morgan, who is joining us uh, via Calgary. And the second is uh, Florida Dochi, who is out in Ottawa. Uh, thank you both for joining me here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So uh, today we're going to have a whole discussion around um, graduate degrees and their role in terms of preparing people for careers in research and setting people up for uh, success in research and misconceptions around them. Uh, and so fortunately, we have two folks here who have both have graduate degrees, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And so where I'd love to start is I'm going to throw it over to you, Florida, to start Tell me a bit about your graduate degree, uh, where you where you studied it, what you studied, and uh, and and yeah, let's start let's start right there. Yeah, so I have a quite diverse background. Um, I did my undergrad in biotechnology, and I did research in microbiology, and then I went on to pursue a master's degree in interdisciplinary health. Um, I was always interested at the intersection of health, science, and policy, so I figured that would be the next step. Um, and then after I finished my master's, I continued to uh, pursue education and the academic path in doing a PhD. So I'm currently a PhD doctoral student at the University of Ottawa studying population health. Very cool. And uh, I'll throw it over to you, Carol. What did you study for your graduate degree? Um, so first, thanks for having us here. This is um, something I've, I've nerd out about. Uh, so I have a PhD in political science from the Ohio State University, um, but I also have a master's in political science from the University of Louisville. Um, so my research focuses on voter behavior, um, and in particular, immigrant voter behavior, um, and how immigrants and minorities and populations, and um, how they react to hate crimes and xenophobia. Uh, so this was also uh, mid 2010s. Uh, so between 2013 and 2017 is when I did my research in Germany. An interesting time to be doing that kind of work, I would say. It was. <laughs> it was and still is, I think. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, can you tell me a bit about your journey into getting your first taste of industry user experience research? What 
started that interest for you? And how did you land that first opportunity? What was that journey like? For me, it was kind of unexpected, to be honest. Um, I, As I said, I'm still a student. I'm still continuing my PhD and doing my PhD research. Uh, and I entered the industry through an internship program. And it was kind of a learning opportunity for me. So I had been doing research. I had been involved with a lot of research projects. And then I heard about this internship program in something called user experience research. And and it sounded really fancy and really exciting and really new. And I'm relentlessly curious about research and about methods. So I figured this was something new that I wanted to try, that I could learn from. And so I applied for the internship, and that's how I started working in the industry. Very cool. So you actually were able to grab one of those elusive... I like you're muted. Oh, shit. You were actually able to grab one of those elusive, mythical research internships that I hear about from time to time. I was, yes. I was lucky. Um, yeah, funny enough, I haven't seen any postings for research internships ever since I finished my research internship. Um, but it, I think, it, and I always talk about this, that it's usually like, as much preparation as it is luck, you know, like I just lucked out in that at the time when I was applying, these were still available. And that's how um, I got to enter the industry in a way. I feel like it, it's become a little bit more difficult. And I feel that that's a big barrier for people who want to enter the industry coming from academia, especially because of this a uh, big misconception that when you're in school or when you're doing graduate studies, you have no work experience, which in my opinion is completely ridiculous because anyone who's done a graduate program and has a graduate degree knows the amount of work and skills that you build while, while you're pursuing graduate studies. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's harder when this kind of opportunities um, are not there for, for young people from academia. So we're going to come back to that point very soon. But before we do, um, uh, love to throw it over to Caro. Tell me a bit about, uh, tell me a bit about that first role for you, what it looked like, how it felt, what that journey was. It was a complete, uh, throw into the wind, so to say. So, uh, I, when I was in academia, finishing up my PhD, I knew it was not for me. And it was just not, it was not a place I wanted to be um, in academia, but I knew I liked data. I liked finding insights. I liked doing all that kind of thing. I liked, I still love doing research, uh, but I didn't want to do it in the ivory tower. And so when I left, I actually got a job as a data scientist at a large insurance company. Uh, and I was as a contractor, you know, just trying to feel it out. And that was just not, that was not it. Like I can code all day long. I can write you predictive models. I can do the whole machine learning, all that stuff, but it wasn't fun. Uh, and mostly because I, I missed that interaction with people. And I missed like, I missed setting up the research projects. I missed that data collection. And so kind of by a fluke of the universe or fate or whatever, uh, they had a round of layoffs and contractors are always the first to go. And so I was like, Oh, I just finished my PhD four months ago and now I'm unemployed. Hooray. And I didn't know what to do. I had like a mini freak out. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who was a UX designer and she was like, why don't you go to these meetups? 
And like, just, just start talking to people in UX. Cause I think you're one of us. I was like, I don't know what this means, but okay. So I went to a couple of meetups and met some researchers there and they were like, yeah, you should probably just go ahead and apply to some jobs. Like just apply to these research jobs. Cause you check all the boxes. Like I did qualitative work in my dissertation. I did quantitative work, like everything. And so around the same time, there was this job opening at, uh, at OCLC, which is like, they run a lot of library software. They have like the world catalog for library books. So like it buttresses academia. I thought, okay, let's try it. And so I applied just kind of out of the blue. I didn't know anyone there. Uh, I think I had a friend of a friend who worked there. And so she gave me a recommendation, even though I didn't know the person, uh, and the next day they called and they were like, hello, we'd like to bring you in for interviews. And I was like, I don't, what is happening? Um, and there was a lot of like throughout the interview process and like throughout my time there, even, and even today, it's still like this imposter syndrome. I'm like, did this really happen? Am I, I, I don't have design skills. I don't do dev work. Like the last website I've worked on was in 1998, you know? <laughs> so um but yeah I just kind of fell into it um and it was you know it, it was the typical job interview type of thing uh you know and, and I interviewed for a couple of other companies too but um just kind of yeah fell into it and kind of networked into it so that that's uh the the idea of falling ass ass backwards into a research role is uh it's a pretty common one if you can believe it <clears throat> Definitely yeah, holds I, true for me as well. Um, I think one of the things that I believe there's a lot of misconceptions around research uh, uh, in in a graduate setting, and how there's probably more in common than people might think in terms of doing industry research. Uh, one of the one of the things that I think is probably a misconception is what it actually looks like when you're doing your graduate degree. I, I imagine there's this picture that a lot of people draw in their minds of, you know, someone sitting in a library reading books all day, but that's not really what it looks like and what it, I imagine, feels like from the, the actual tactical work that you do, the way you construct ideas, or even the number of hours you work. Uh, and so, you know, maybe Florida, you can tell me a bit about what that experience looked and felt like for you. And then whether or not you found, uh, how you found the transition from that kind of research work to industry research work, was that something that felt like it was harder, easier, about the same, pretty similar? Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so uh, both my master's and my PhD research is focused on um, women's and adolescents' reproductive health. Um, and I do a lot of qualitative research, sometimes mixed methods research, and it's very much action-oriented. So by that, I mean that all the research that we produce is intended to have some form of impact and should be used and can be used either by advocacy groups or policymakers. So it's very much intentional research. It's not a research for the sake of like, you know, publishing papers or just like sitting in a library shelf in a way. And so um, all of the, and I, during my master's and my PhD, I've been involved on multiple projects. So 
I had my master's project, which was my main one. It was a multi-method project that involved fieldwork in Europe. Um, and I did interviews with uh, stakeholders. I did surveys on the field. I did focus group discussions. Um, I did uh, assessment of different facilities, looking at like services that they were providing and assessing quality of services. And then in addition to that, which was kind of like my school assignment for the two years of my master's, um, I was also a research assistant on multiple other projects that my supervisor was leading. And so um, being in grad school is more than a full-time job. You know, um, you have multiple projects you need to juggle. You have multiple research teams that you have to coordinate. Um, you have different priorities that you have to um, kind of like shuffle uh, every single day. And as I said, it's more than a full-time job. Um, it takes hours every single day to plan all of the research activities to plan recruitment, um, to even think about the strategies of disseminating your findings, you know. So when I transitioned into uh, user experience research in academia, I was really excited because barriers to doing research were um, much, much less obvious in a way. So if, if in academia I would spend hours just to recruit one participant in the industry, you have so much more resources to do that. Uh, if in academia, you have to kind of struggle to find incentives for your participants and find funding and grants and grant writing is like one of the biggest pet peeves of any graduate student, if you ask them, uh, kind of like knocking on doors and begging for money. And then in the industry, everything is so much easier. You can just focus on doing the research, focus on collecting collecting the data, analyzing the data. And even the dissemination part is so much more fun in a way because stakeholders are already engaged in, in that process. They, they care about the things that uh, you're sharing with them or that you've been researching. So that's been my experience from academia to the industry with research. And, and what would you say was a, would be a typical work week in terms of number of hours worked on your average week? I mean, it depends, but as a graduate student, there are a lot of late nights in the lab, in the library, talking with colleagues. Um, I was doing international work, so that meant that I would also count for time zones. You know, I've been doing interviews at 5 a.m. in the morning, and then I've had to sit the whole day for eight hours in the office transcribing interviews and analyzing data, planning for the next sessions that I would have to do. Uh, when you're coordinating multiple multiple projects, you also have teams that you have to coordinate, you know, more junior researchers that you have to train or you have to sit with uh, during interviews or during um, other forms of data collection. So there is a lot of, there are a lot of things that go into being a graduate student. It's not just the schoolwork, it's not just the classes you take, it's all of these different projects that you have to juggle and all of the research that you have to do. So the eight hours is a blessing, definitely more than that. <laughs> so not slacking. What about what about you, Caro? Does that resonate? Uh, I think I had a different experience. <laughs> but I think this also reflects to um, the the difference in the disciplines, the difference in um, the difference in the type of structures too. So like a PhD. Um, 
like a, a master's is a little different than PhD, but I know Florida, like Florida is also right now in PhD world. So like there, there's a whole different thing too. And also, so um, I know that population research, like she was talking about, it's very much more like output focused and more so like policy focused. And so uh, in political science, it's more, or at least in American political science, it's more, you know, based on journal articles or books and things like that. So um Although I was very idealistic and I was like, someone in the Bundestag will read my research, someone. And then like, so yeah, so like I, I always hoped someone would read it, um, which I think someone has, but I don't know. I'm um, sure many people have read your research. Yeah, I've, well, I've known quite a few graduate students who have, were amazed to find out that their journal articles had been downloaded and cited more times than they thought. 700 and some odd times my dissertation has been downloaded. And I was like, if I would have known that, I would have proofread it just a little bit more. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a typo on the first page. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, I didn't realize it until like I downloaded it two years later. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, um, well let's, if I can, I'd love to know sort of what you think in terms of the the PhD program is a long uh, it's a journey. It's it's, and there's a lot of components to it, and there's a lot of uh, skills that your principal investigator or your professor forces you to learn and develop. And I would love to know also what what do you think some of those key ones where having that graduate degree, because of that training, because there is a training component to it, forces you to be a better researcher in a way that a lot of folks might not think about because they haven't had that experience. So I, I think the biggest thing that I pulled from, from my work or from, you know, from PhD land is the critical thinking. And also with just enough exposure to business, knowing what is to quote Erica Hall, just enough research. Right. And, and to know the consequences of that and like being able to explain that, being able to explain those consequences in such a way that your stakeholders don't feel like you're um, that you're not doing them justice. Right. And so I think that that's part of where, like, so in, in my program, we had, we had to teach also. So I had to teach, um, you know, intro to comparative politics or political behavior or whatever. And so having to teach these really like complicated and abstract ideas, if I can teach democracy to freshmen or, you know, the concept of democracy, whatever that may be, I can explain to my stakeholders why they might not want to do a survey. Right. And so, and that's how like a lot of the approaches that I take to my stakeholders, to running meetings, to, to anything like that uh, is, is really like teaching them and, and bringing them along with me. Right. Um, and I don't, and I think that that's something that uh, I wouldn't have gotten had I not went to grad school. Right. Like had I not had to teach, hundreds of freshmen minds, these things, I might not be able to explain to my stakeholders, you know, and and break down these really complex ideas into simple bite-sized nuggets. And also that critical thinking um, where, you know, you'll have people who come to you and say, oh, well, we need to do a research project on this concept. And you're like, okay, tell me more about this concept. Like, tell me what that is. If I didn't, have that critical thinking or that that background to investigate a little bit then i just be like okay well i'm gonna go do some interviews or gonna go do some surveys when it's actually not addressing the need that you need or the, the need that you have right um so i for me that's 
the biggest thing and just a little bit of confidence too. I used to have, um, I used to have a sticky note on my computer for every interview, at least they're not Nazis. Um, because, you know, people get really frustrated when they're doing usability tests and things come out of their mouths that are, you know, not offensive, but you do, you know, sometimes take it to heart. And, you know, my research dealt with some of the not nicest people. So I was like, at least it's a little bit better. Right. So th those are the three things I think that I pull from my graduate work um, that helped me through my work each day. So. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I'd actually also add on that confidence piece, one of the things that the academia really bits into you is rigor. You know, um, every work, every piece of work that you do will have eyes on it, multiple eyes on it. You'll have people literally watching every step, whether it is your supervisor, whether it is colleagues, whether it is the funding agencies or the institution that you're working, research ethics board. So there are so many components that will kind of like make sure that you are you are doing rigorous research, you are doing rigorous work. And that's actually how you build confidence in a way, you know, because you learn how to defend your own work. You learn how to convince stakeholders that this is the right approach. This is the right way to do things. And uh, you also learn how to be aware of all of the variables involved in the process, all of the different stakeholders you need to involve at every stage of the process and how to have those kind of conversations. So I think that's something that, is very particular about academia, the, the rigor part, which comes from the peer review and, and all of the other structures around that. Although it I could be a little a friend less of mine, uh, I, I remember a friend of mine telling me, I remember a friend of mine telling me an experience that he had writing a paper once where uh, a PI made him rewrite a sentence something like 50 times to make sure that it was 110% accurate and precise and that every word that he used was backed up by some form of evidence that could be pointed to, uh, at, you know, in the footnotes or, uh, in the, in the, in the citations, which is a level of rigor that if, uh, if we try to apply that to our industry UX research, we would be working years on a single test or study. I, I don't, don't think I don't think I necessarily grasp. agree with that, Alec. Um, I think there is always this misconception in the industry about speed versus rigor, and I don't think there has to be one. You know, a good researcher knows how to hold the tension between the two, um, because ultimately, if you're not if you're not rigorous with your methods and with your research, then your insights are not going to give you enough confidence to move forward. And I know that the industry, there's always this idea of like failing fast and learning fast, um, but that can also be done by doing good research. And there, there's plenty of room to fail in any company, you know, and it doesn't have to come because of the non-rigorous research. I think you can do both of those. So both be fast and do rigorous work. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a lines, great point. Sorry. Along those lines, if you don't do rigorous research, then why are you even doing it? <laughs> like, I know that sounds like, like, it's, I shouldn't say that as a researcher, but uh, if you're, if you're going to do something like, just go ahead and whole ass it rather than half-assing two things, you know? 
Um, because it's actually really dangerous to do non-rigorous research because what happens is you do your research, then you get like notes with confident findings. You launch on those non-confident findings and guess what? You've just wasted time. You've wasted time. You've wasted money and you've wasted reputation, you know? And so if you want to go and launch a product that has the half-ass or quarter-ass research on it, cool, but you have to understand the consequences that come with it too. Right. And so that's why like when people would say, you know, and, and this is just in community, they're like, oh, well, just talk to a few people. It's like, oh, you got to think about who these people are that you're talking to, first of all. And it's not like interviews are conversations, but they're structured. Right. And they're just not talking to a few people. Do you like this thing? Well, first of all. Right. And so so there has to be that rigor to the research. Um, yeah. And totally. I, you, you know, if you if it takes if it takes a few more weeks to get that research done and do it correctly and you get good insights that you can then action on or, you know, do whatever on, I think it's worth it. It actually saves you money in the long term. Yeah. I'd love to pivot here to sort of like a, a final topic, which is around norm. A lot of the time when we, when we're talking about um, folks who are early or journeys that are early in, in research, we, we talk about advice that we'd like to give, it's often focused on people who are trying to get that first job. But I think in this case, it would be really helpful to talk about uh, advice for people who are hiring managers or people who are might be in a position uh, where they could be interviewing or uh, evaluating whether to interview a candidate who has a graduate degree. And it may not be obvious how to think about that kind of experience. And so I wonder if, if both of you, and we'll start with you, Caro, have any suggestions of how to make the most sense and, and what we could be doing better as hiring managers when we see a resume come across our desks or metaphorical desks uh, that has the, the letters MSc or PhD on it somewhere. Oh, so many things. Um, so I would say the first thing. Um, so the first thing is that, and this this uh, this is probably for people who haven't went through a graduate program. The most important thing to understand to, to remember is that PhD programs and master programs are not like the Big Bang Theory. It's not you know, people sitting there pontificating about whatever. These are people who have set up a pro they have, first of all, they've come up with the problem space. They're, they've recognized that problem space and come up with a question and create a project to answer those questions. Right. And so the person who you're interviewing with the PhD or the MSc or, or whatever, those are many project managers who really like research. Like that, that's really what we are, you know, um, we've probably had our hands all over those research projects and set them up. Um, and the second thing is, um, recognizing that academia is hard and it's not just hard, like in an intellectual sense, it's hard emotionally because a lot of, and a lot of programs say, well, we, we tear you down to build you back up but they forget like how to build you up. Right. Um, in, in the sense of like that whole holistic approach. Um, and, uh, 
So the person sitting across from you, they're probably terrified (laughs) because they know they can do that job, right? They know they can do research. They want to be able to show you, but they might not have the buzzwords. They might not know, you know, uh, they might not know what it means, net net means or or something, right? They don't know this language and that's okay because they know a dialect of it, you know, just give them, I say, just give them a chance, you know, because as long as the person's not an asshole, I'd say they're probably a great addition to your team. Um, and that, that's kind of like, cause I've been on hiring interviews and on that side of the desk and, and I, I see that they're nervous cause they're, you know, they, they know they can do the job. You know, it's just it, from that point, it's kind of a personality fit. So yeah, I love that. That's great. What do you think, Florida? Um, I I wanted to like take a step back and just like share a little bit that like I have frequently been thinking about this idea of like doing a PhD, having a graduate degree, especially in the industry, especially in the tech world. There is this idea that like you don't need degrees, you know, like you can do anything if you set your mind to it. And and this concept of growth mindset that you can learn anything. And and I truly do believe in that. I do believe in growth mindset and I do believe that if you set your mind to something, you can achieve it. You know, you don't need to go to a fancy school or have a fancy degree to gain certain skills or to learn certain things, especially in the day and age we are where everything is available through the internet. You can take any course for free and you can learn pretty much anything um, online. The only problem with that is it requires an immense drive within the person and not everyone has that you know like being self-motivated being self-taught it's something and self-driven it's something that not everybody has and so yeah it's great if everybody could do it but the truth is that's not the reality we live in, you know? So this idea that you can drop out of school and then be a success and be a a CEO and, and, and have millions, it's kind of like, it's a dream, but it's not everybody's dream in a way because it's not realistic. If you look at statistics, the people that earn more are people that have high education degrees. Uh, the people that have the most stability in life are the people that go uh, to to have graduate degrees on, you know. So the people who drop out, the people who are self-taught are the exception. They're not the rule. And so we have to kind of we, we have to be more open about that. We have to be more realistic about the expectations that we set, both within our companies or uh, within our institutions, but even like more broadly as a society, we can't set these wrong expectations that, you know, uh, you can drop out of school and still be super successful. So while I believe that a graduate program does not give you much it gives you the opportunity to learn those skills which you wouldn't otherwise learn unless you had that self-drive in a way so I I totally agree with Carolyn about the graduate students being like project managers who love research. And in many cases, I've seen graduate students who have done multiple projects by the time they finish their PhDs. They have so much more experience than anyone who's been for like three or four years in the industry, uh, just because of the pace that you have in academia and the kind of projects that you're involved with and the rigor. 
academia is very much cutthroat. Everybody knows that. So you have to really be on top of your game. You can't just like slack in academia, you know. You have to always be working. You have to always be building up your resume year over year because you're competing all the time, which is not the case always in the industry. So yeah, while the, the degree itself might not mean much, Everything that you build during that time means a lot. Thanks again to Dr. Carol Morgan and Florida Dochi for joining us on this episode of the UXR podcast. If you haven't heard already, there's a really amazing research event happening in just a few weeks at the end of February. We're going to be hosting our second annual virtual UXR Conf. We've got three amazing days of content and the cost of attending is only 99 bucks. But if for any reason, 99 bucks is too much for you, just send us an email and we'll let you name your price. We'd really love to have you join us and be a part of the community of learning and fun together, all focused on research. Looking forward to seeing you there. Take care, and we'll see you at the next episode.